0: Technology By definition, it's the practical application of knowledge in a particular area. It comes from the Greek term techne, which means art, craft, or skill. And logos which means knowledge study and treatise for most people technology means science electronic devices or machines that are here to improve our lives but how often do you relate technology to human emotions to sensitivity how do you think current technologies are affecting our everyday lives or our personality do you think technology is changing the way we love do you think technology is changing our human essence In the last exhibition at the front, we asked these and other questions. Artists explored our human condition and its relation to technology. They play with ways of understanding violence, pop culture, and even love, using technology as a tool or as a philosophical background for their art. The exhibition was called Meta-affection, the human as an open concept. It included artists from Mexico City, San Diego, and Tijuana.
1: station is San Isidro. La siguiente última estacion, San Isidro.
0: San Isidro is next. Welcome to the Front Arte y Cultura podcast. The Front is an active art gallery, arts educational space, concert and meeting venue run by Casa Familiar at the heart of San Isidro, California. It stands just one mile away from the international border of San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. In this episode, we will focus on the electronic art exhibition, Meta Affection. We will listen to some of the participant artists and their approach to electronic art. Then we will share what's coming up at the front. Now, let's listen to Chris Warren. One of the artists from the exhibition, who will share about how he got into art and technology.
2: My first instrument was the electric bass, and it's really not very fun when it's not plugged in. It just kind of thumps, you can't really, you hardly hear it, but you plug it in and all of a sudden it's magical. And so that really tuned me into the, the potential for electricity to really make art amazing and as I as I explored this further I got really really into guitar pedals and just the transformative potential that they have for taking very for taking very day to day sounds and making them unique and fascinating for reshaping things and making them something unexpected and then one day about a decade and a half ago, I was at work. I, I worked at a place very similar to this. We were hosting a show, and um, one of the artists who was performing was using this strange computer program that he had made. And I asked him about it, and he said, oh, this is, this is Max MSP, it's a, it's a programming language for, for music. What the fuck? There's a programming language for music? A musical programming language? I thought programming was just sort of changing Celsius to Fahrenheit or doing these sort of spreadsheets or very sort of boring things and all of a sudden I saw the. I saw that you could make code to make music and I was hooked before I even got home. I. I I rushed home, I downloaded it, and I played with it obsessively, obsessively. I told myself I was gonna teach myself how to use this, and I did. I sat in the front window of my living room for months, just going through the manual and figuring out how I make this computer code make noise. And as I got deeper and deeper into it, it got more and more obvious that not only could I make this make noise, but I could make it entirely interactive. Any particular action could, could make a sound that was completely unrelated to that action. And it allowed me to make... make sounds created just from imagination rather than any physical manifestation. I just found that to be beyond fascinating.
0: Now let's hear Margaret Noble talk about her work, followed by Annie Garzalao and Joel Kentrell.
3: My work is deeply entrenched in technology. Not only is it useful as a sound artist, because it allows that opportunity for interactivity in presenting works to audiences, um, it also present sound in an easier way to digest for audiences because they can engage the with the experience when they're ready by starting it at their leisure um, and so I really love these opportunities in my work but I also like critiquing the impact of technology on our life and our daily existence In particular, this very accelerated daily existence that is impacted by uh, the evolution of digital technology. And this not only uh, permeates my artistic work, but it also happens to really impact my work as an educator, where I teach interactive computer programming to high school seniors. It's a very interesting dynamic because at once I want to support them to have the necessary tools to succeed. And at the same time, I'm very worried about how these tools impact their day-to-day existence. And so it is kind of chaotic, my uh, work in technology, and confusing, and yet very rewarding. Thank you.
1: Hello, my name is Ani Garzalao and I've been working with technology for the past 10 years, but I really believe the changes from electronic into digital have been uh, radical for the past 20 years, especially because technology has been evolving so fast that it has become part of our daily lives in a so ubiquitous way that it's impossible not to talk about uh, these changes in technology, economy, politics, and we can see everywhere the repercussions of um, how these technologies can manipulate us and constantly change our point of view on reality. So I believe the importance of these changes from electronic into digital has a lot to do with these um, uh, evolution of communications and, in, in general, in a, uh, the way we see ourselves as humans and how we can, um, even us evolve as a society, uh, not precisely in, or not necessarily in a positive way, but I think um, this evolution is um, a great deal for talking about with uh, art, through art so um, while well, i still see 90s electronic art as more conceptual i really believe that in the past years and with the uh, upcoming artists, this point of view has more to do with how either electronically or digitally technology is changing uh, our reality our, the way we interact with others the way we learn and the way we think. So, uh, I believe this is um, huge for the art uh, and and not only for the media. So, uh, possibly the future of uh, contemporary art, if not the present, is to talk about technology and what is going on with, with it in our lives.
4: My name is Joe Cantrell. I'm a sound artist and performer. And my work stems from a fascination with technological objects and their connection to history, ecology, and human beings. For me, technological objects um, have an embedded trace of the time and culture that created them. So how did they work in the society they were created for? What kind of values were embedded in their functioning and form? Who were they made for? Um, who were they not made for? Who would, who would be left out of their functioning? All these things, for me, when I pick up um, any technological object, even something that has been discarded, uh, these questions present themselves. My background is, is primarily in sound. And uh, previously, I used the computer heavily as a performance instrument, designing software in the computer to be uh, used for live performances. As of around 2010 or 2011, I actually pushed away from using computers in my live sound performances um, in preference to working exclusively with obsolete, broken, discarded, um, and low-quality audio technology. The installation uh, is called Copyright. And it started as a sort of comment on the ownership of sound. What does it mean to claim that um, someone owns sound? On its face, the ability to own the vibration of air seems sort of absurd. And originally I wanted to sort of examine that. And the way I did that was I wanted to use one form of copyright against uh, another form of copyright. So in the U.S., the two most common forms of copyright, the C and the P that you see on the copyright notices on recordings, the C is an authorship copyright, and it means you've written the song. It's an authorship copyright. Um, the P with the circle around it is a performance copyright. It means that you own the rights to the, the recording, essentially. So the song My Favorite Things... Uh, was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein, and they still own the authorship rights to that. Um, John Coltrane's recording of it, he would own the performance rights to his solo, even though he he didn't write the song. So I wanted to use the performance copyright to sort of protect my violation of the ownership copyright. And the way that I wanted to do that was to print out the waveforms of a number one uh, hit song onto receipt paper, and then with a touch tablet, with a Wacom tablet, trace those waveforms back into the computer and visually capture the process using stop motion animation. So the results would be an unauthorized copy of the original, but because it was a recorded performance, I could claim it as a copyrightable act in itself but something unexpected happened. When I set out to do this uh, many years ago, the process turned out to be incredibly painstaking and tedious, and I was not expecting that. So I worked for two weeks on this project, and I only got 30 seconds of sound and a bad case of tendonitis. So I had to stop, I had to stop doing this process because my body got in the way. And I couldn't deny the effect that was going on that was happening to my body when it was being used to transcode data so at that point the project became something else uh, it became an examination of the physical relationship between bodies and data and and how data changes bodies and how bodies change data So. This year I revisited the piece with enough time and some custom software to make it more efficient and to be less damaging in my body, but it was still hard. And I included the artifacts of the process as well, all the paper spools, and I really wanted to to get a visceral impression of the the physicality of, of data. I wanted it to be sort of intrusive to the viewer. As they're viewing um, the results of the process, Uh, the choice of song was based on the Billboard status when starting. So Ariana Grande was number one at the time. If I had waited a couple days, it would have been the Jonas Brothers. And I also like that the Ariana Grande song is a version of Rodgers and Hammerstein's um, favorite thing. So it's another layer of sort of um, this uh, the questioning of of ownership.
0: We are listening to a fragment of copyright by Joe Cantrell. I okay. Chris Warren describing his piece at the exhibition.
2: This piece is called Subharmonic Theta Wave Entrainment Field. It's a pair of enormous subwoofers surrounding a chair. You sit in the chair and these two things point directly at your head. And they play this low, deep, resonant growl or almost like a cat purr. and And what this does is theta waves are these low frequencies, subaudible, we can't hear them. But they are associated in our brains with the deepest form of relaxation. So I wanted to see if we could bombard ourselves with theta waves. Would that cause a deep, deep relaxation? And I'll be honest, I have no idea whether the theta waves work or not. I certainly couldn't get them to do what I I had read that they were promised to deliver, which is this deep meditative state. So what I did is I decided to sort of reverse engineer it. And I layered, I think, about 15 or 20 different sounds together. Everything from my wife playing a low, deep... Bass clarinet drone, to even my cat purring. And putting all these sounds together, I think I was able to find something that, at least for me, and hopefully for you, induced this relaxation like no other sound I could find.
0: Let's hear a fragment of Chris Warren's sound design. To our listeners, we recommend hearing through headphones or good speakers, since the low frequencies won't sound correctly through your laptop or mobile devices.
3: So my work, Please Wait, I'm Not Done With My Diatribe, is a three-screen multimedia interactive experience which you control with your foot that functions like a slot machine and acts like a tarot card reading. It investigates the consequence of human environmental abuses and the impact it has on our shorelines here in San Diego. It explores philosophy, psychology, uh, human folly, and the consequences of industry. My other work, Thoughts on Trial, is a play on how our minds are wild in exploring the connections and thoughts we have from random media or phenomena in our lives. So, for example, you might see a chair, but hear a car crash at the same time. And in that moment, the two disparate medias in your mind connect to make an idea come to your head, which may or may not be true, but still has a powerful influence in how you perceive things. My artwork, Environmental
1: Disturbances, this artwork comes from um, a necessity I had some years ago to express um, how affection can be modified through technology. This artwork tends to be more introspective uh, for the audience so they can and they they might uh, visualize how they are feeling or thinking and then try to control it into transform a uh, landscape and then that landscape will change as well the affections of the user. So I think the main point for this uh, artwork that is, is to uh, think about how technology can manipulate our affections and how ourselves can manipulate ours or others' affections through technology.
0: Coming up at the front, two exhibitions on the same day, Una y lo Otro, retrospective show of Irma Sofia Pueter, a sister exhibition of her solo show at Secult Tijuana, and Concerning of Two, a group show where artists from San Diego State University and Universidad de Baja California work together in both countries to develop their artworks. December 5th from 5 to 8 p.m. Additionally, on December 14th, The Front will be hosting the dance film festival, Ajite y See you there. My name is Hector Castro. Produced by Francisco M. Till next time. Remember to support The Front's mission by donating to our PayPal. Donations at casafamiliar.org.